Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. to leave. I love it. It's kind of a crazy melting pot of friends from all different stages of life. But it also means that if I want to go anywhere in the world, I usually have a friend fairly close by who I can catch up with, which is my favorite thing. You forge connections with people as well. And I think that's the thing that I really wanted to emphasize is the importance of a creative community. Make sure you surround yourself with other creatives and, and don't try and work as an island and don't try and have all the answers because you're never going to. Creating work that internally resonates with you and reflects who you are is the most important thing because that's going to be your point of difference. I think it's really easy to look at other people's work and emulate that. People need to be told honestly, look, this is probably the hardest you'll ever work, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Phase World podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. Today, I am joined by Adrian Pitts. Adrian is an award-winning photographer and creative director, originally from sunny New Zealand. She has a deep and abiding love for the beach, sunny days, and blue skies. She's been working and living in London for the past 10 years and happily travel around the world. Adrienne considers herself very fortunate because she is doing what she loves for a living. In this very episode, we explore Adrienne's path to becoming a successful photographer. Not only that, but also how she explores and unveils her brand identity that's ever-evolving since launching her own business in the past few years. Whether you are a photographer, an artist, or someone who's just starting out or contemplating a career in the creative domain, you will find this conversation helpful, I hope. We want to give you a different perspective, or perhaps confirms what you are already doing. But why is this conversation important? Because choosing to work as an artist is a difficult path. I couldn't do it when I was 18. I remember how I forced myself, basically, to write down computer science and math as a major, while my entire being wanted to go after visual design, even fashion design. But I didn't. I was afraid of failure. If you have chosen the path of becoming an artist, we want to offer you some wisdom and support as part of your journey introducing you to someone you can relate to or aspire to become one day. Or the opposite of that may be asking yourself if you're willing to do the work and take the risk. Phase World Podcast has a constant theme of transitions. As for Adrienne, she also worked full-time until rather recently when she decided to take the leap and become a full-time photographer, building a business of her own and finding clients independently. 
We dug really deep into this part of the conversation, so you will know exactly what she did to get started and the beliefs that she had to march on even during difficult times. After winning the PPA Designer of the Year Award, as well as Travel International iPhone Photography Awards, Adrian became even more recognized by a global audience. But it was so much of the heart and soul she poured into her work before that to make it happen. Adrian has an Instagram account called Hello Poe with nearly 120,000 followers worldwide. She connects with her followers and became good friends with many. Her passion for travel and documenting the people and places she comes across with her camera resonated so much with me because that is precisely why I started the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I share with your friends to get new stories from us, uh, from these sung and unsung heroes in my world. Consider subscribing to our podcast. It takes seconds on your iPhone or Android phone. Without further ado, please welcome Adrian Pitts to the Face World podcast. I'm intrigued by people born and raised in New Zealand, not <laughs> only because it's an absolutely beautiful, gorgeous country. It looks like a painting, you know, everywhere you go. Yeah. I personally have not been there. So many of my friends have. So I've been indulging in their basically Facebook photos and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And to most people in the U.S., I believe elsewhere, can't really say they have a ton of friends from New Zealand, unlike all the mm -hmm. friends from China and elsewhere. <laughs> so yeah. tell me a little bit more about your origin stories. You were just getting started with that. I'd love to hear more, you know, where you grew up and what was that like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if you, you probably do know the, the TV show or the, the group flight of the Concords, but oh, there's... Um, I love yeah, them. Amazing, right? In Murray's office in the New Zealand consulate, there's sort of a revolving cast of promote, fake promotional New Zealand posters that appear on his walls. And my favourite one <laughs> is this scene of the South Island and it just says, New Zealand, just like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and it's it's my favorite one because it's basically true and that's what I tell everyone who sort of asks what it's like. I mean, I grew up in the North Island, which is sort of the beachy, foresty kind of part, and the South Island was the is the beautiful Lord of the Rings, snow capped mountains kind of thing. But um honestly, I'm incredibly biased, but I think New Zealand is just such an incredible place to grow up. And you're raised with this appreciation of nature, which you don't really appreciate at the time because you're a kid and you just don't want to, you know, you're a kid, you want to do other things. But um, the freedom of being raised in a place which in the 80s and 90s had very little crime and you could stay out and play all day and explore and, and really not have to live by any rules, that was incredible. Another thing is about being raised in New Zealand is that we're really raised, and I think I've mentioned this a bunch of other places, but it's it's so important. We're raised to be a nation of travellers. We're raised, well, very, very much sort of in the uh, age of our grand grandparents and parents anyway, you're very much raised to leave home when you're 18, go and do your OE, which is your overseas experience. Traditionally, that's in London because, you know, we're a member of the Commonwealth and we're part of. But um, 
I never really wanted to go to London. I kind of fell into that. But most people do go to London and live here for a couple of years and then go back and continue on with their lives. But That's you're so very interesting. much, yeah, you're very much raised with the idea of, okay, you know, we look after you until you're 18, usually. And uh, when you turn 18, you kind of get kicked out the door and sort of told to go along your merry way, which is fantastic. How does that work? You know, you're 18, but you have to go to college and then you go home at 20. Is that like an exchange program or what what work experience? It all depends, really. I mean, some people go straight off to university. Some people take what's called a gap year in between high school and university where you go and work overseas or you travel around with your mates because you've saved a bunch of money and you just kind of find yourself. For me, what I did is I finished high school when I was 17 in New Zealand and then I took a year as an exchange student in Chile in South America and I lived there for a year. And then I went back to New Zealand and I went to university. It's very normal to be raised to leave. And one of my favorite jokes, it's so true, it's such a cliche, but it's so true, is the last one out of New Zealand turned the lights off because we're raised to leave. And most people come back. Um, I've yet to do it, but I know probably eventually I will. But um, I kind of love that you find New Zealanders everywhere as well. We're quite an adventurous lot. Wow. This is like everything you just said is completely unfamiliar to me. This is why it's so interesting to connect with people from all over the world. You know, the terms like such as OE, overseas experience and uh, the sort of the gap year and not to mention where you grew up is uh, Mm -hmm. very unfamiliar to, you know, people around the world. So that's very fascinating. So I wonder... (laughs) You know, I think on one hand, it's easier that way. You know, people ask me what it's like to be an only child, which I am one. And most of my friends after uh, born after 1980 are only child. Um, But once once you're surrounded by people like that and families are kind of structured that way, it's very normal Uh, for you. What was it like to kind of grow up elementary school, middle school, high school, and then kind of everybody kind of disperse into the world and then you have to find a new set of friends where did all your friends go all to London (laughs) yeah it was a real mixture of the people I went to university with and, and studied photography and design half sort of went off overseas and scattered around the other half didn't do anything related to the degree and stayed there It's funny, the high school I went to in Auckland, I live in a suburb in in London right now called Queen's Park, and a few streets away lives a guy I was a friend with in my high school in Auckland, which blows my mind (laughs) because we run into each other at the bakery and it's like, hi, how are you? And it turns out there are a couple of other people from our high school in this neighborhood as well. But yeah, it's you do kind of scatter to the four corners of the earth, I have to say. And I definitely have friendships that mark certain periods in my life. I might have gone off traveling for a few months and made these amazing friends in one country and we stay in touch via Facebook and whatever else. But then my London friends have been a real constant over the past 10 years or so as well. So it's kind of this, I love it. It's kind of a crazy melting pot of friends from all different stages of life. But it also means that if I want to go anywhere in the world, I usually have a friend fairly close by who I can catch up with, which is my favorite thing. Mm. Wow, it's such so much freedom. 
associated yeah. with the lifestyle you've chosen. And so much of what you have mentioned, you know, friendship, travel, food, mm-hmm. adventure, all of that are reflected in your creative work, in particular photography that I have seen on your beautiful website. There's so much nature and people involved. It's not just one <laughs> or the other, it's both. So mm-hmm. it feels very lively. And uh, I want to sort of hear a little bit of the origin story of how you got started in photography. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I discovered photography when I was 15 years old and completely and utterly fell in love with it. And after my year in Chile, I went back to New Zealand and I did a four-year degree and I majored in photography and I was set, like I was going to be a photographer. This was it. The year that I graduated was also the year that digital cameras really properly came out. And obviously being far away in New Zealand, everything's quite a lot more expensive when it comes to electronics and that kind of thing. So I graduated with this fantastic degree and I realized, oh, as well as, you know, having put myself through university and gotten loans to do that, I'm now going to have to spend about sixty dollars to $100,000 on setting myself up with digital cameras. And I realized I can't do that. I just couldn't take on that kind of debt. So I decided to kind of take a little segue and go into graphic design, which I'd basically kind of minored in in university by taking a lot of electives about design. So I was really interested and passionate about it. And I ended up working around, you know, various places in New Zealand doing design work and building that up. And I did that for about 15 years and I worked my way up and I ended up in magazines, which I knew I really wanted to design. I really wanted to work in publishing. So I worked with a bunch of different magazines, worked my way up to art director and was the head of a large amount of international editions of the magazine I created. But I did sort of realize that I really missed being able to devote more time to it. And the more I commissioned photographers and worked with photographers at the magazine I was at, the more I realized, well, but I want to take those photos, you know. So about, gosh, two and a half or three years ago, I decided to make the switch again and change from creative direction and design back to photography. So it's been kind of big old circle over the past 15 or 20 years. Wow. It's only been two to three years since you switched back to photography completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Very scary times. I'm not going to lie. It's not an easy thing to do, but I'm glad I did it. Let's talk about the transitions because one of the things, one of many things that I absolutely enjoy uh, talking to my guests about is transition and everybody's transitioning and yeah. you know everyone's story is slightly different and the funny thing is we often associate transitions with someone uh, you got to be in your 30s or 40s mm-hmm. 50s and it's not true and parents talking about their young children going through transitions so wow. let's talk about yours <laughs> I mean it's a funny thing I think I realized I mean I'm 38 now And I realized two or three years ago when I made the jump, I was like, wow, I'm in this really privileged position where I don't yet have any dependents. I'm not paying a mortgage. My money is really my own to do what I want with and, and, you know, live a lifestyle that I want. When else am I really going to be in a position to make this leap? So it was really a case of now or never because I knew I really wanted to do it and I knew I 
I, well, I thought I could do it. I was like, I don't know, there's got to be a way and I feel as though I'm passionate enough where I could make it work. But it's a really scary thing to do as well, making that leap. I remember for the first two or three months after I left my full-time job, I woke up in the morning and I just felt guilty. I just felt complete and utter guilt for not having anywhere to go or anything to do and I felt quite useless as well. But then you hit your stride and you just find that, you really are reliant on yourself and that's it. And you just have to get things done. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I personally went through that transitions at the beginning of 2016, almost exactly a year ago at oh. this time. Uh, yeah, I put in my uh, resignation letter and, you know, going through that conversation. Why are you making such decision? Was it the compensation? Like, no, that's fine. Yeah. And was it the project? But I very much can relate to what you said about creating something on your own. So mm-hmm. I can completely understand why you made that switch. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I, I would love to hear your opinion on this. I think I also had started feeling really safe. I knew how to do everything that I was doing and I was kind of just going through the motions and I didn't really feel challenged anymore, you know? Yeah. Also, I like the the idea of like influence without authority. That was a position that I was very much in uh, for the majority of my career because, you know, by the time, like you said, you leave around your 30s, but it's in magazine, we're in advertising, the the ceiling is so high. And then there yeah. is such thing as a glass ceiling as well. And oh, there yeah. you're in these long, drawn-out meetings for creative reviews. And essentially, whatever you may be doing at the time, at the end of that funnel, you look at it, it's like, who did this work? Am I truly satisfied with it? Did we, yeah. you know, push the envelope and all those questions come up, but there isn't so much you can do about that, you know, the end result. Exactly. And and feeling as though you have ownership over what you're working on is incredibly satisfying as well. Like knowing that you can get hired to do something and just go out and do it. And that's not to say that you wouldn't be collaborating with people, but just having that ownership over the parts that you are contributing is pretty wonderful. Yeah. So that leads to, I'm so curious and I'm sure people listening to this uh, are ready to jump out of their chairs because (laughs) believe it or not, you know, you are a uh, success model that's someone who is relatable and, uh, you know, very relevant to people who are considering this path, anything in the creative field. It must have been very satisfying for clients, even just a few of those at the beginning to approach you to say, Adrian, I want you. I want you to do this work. This is your commission work. How did that come about? Um, I think what in terms of photography, what I really did whilst I was still working as the art director on this magazine is I really started paying attention to the work that I was commissioning and the work that was successful and what photographers gave me that really worked for me as an art director. So when I started putting myself out there as a photographer, I really made a point of saying to people, I know what it's like to do your job. I know what you need from a photographer because I've been in your exact position and I can give you multiple different angles and I can give you bright colors if that's your style. So I was working full time at the magazine and I'd been really spending a lot of time nights and on weekends taking photographs with my iPhone and posting them to Instagram and really um, engaging with the community that exists on Instagram because it's absolutely incredible and some of my very best friends have come out from this 
app on my phone, which I keep in my pocket, which kind of blows my mind every time. So whilst I was still working full time as an art director, I started getting approached to do sort of Instagram social media based jobs, which was incredibly flattering, but also kind of reaffirmed that oh, oh, maybe this is a thing that I could go back to because I do still feel intense passion and, and love for this for this work. So I started working with tourism boards and companies that would compensate me for my work and let me shoot the way I really loved to shoot. And eventually what happened was that all this freelance work that I was doing sort of nights and weekends, it, it really started getting in the way of my full-time job, which was when I really had to sit down and go, well, am I going to really ask for another 10 days off from my full-time job so I can do this freelance job? Or am I really finally going to inverse these jobs and, and dedicate myself fully to photography? So that's what I did. <laughs> Wow, congrats. And this path sounds more or less familiar. I wonder what was some of the uh, assignments like in terms of how people approached you, how you sort of structure that. A lot of people I, I notice are struggling with that, a few things, not that pricing and uh, how do you articulate your skills? How do you not just build your website, but actually be able to say, you know, whether I'm a strategist, I execute, I'm actually a producer or a touch-up okay. and post-production. Uh, how did you do that? <laughs> I mean, to, I'll be perfectly honest, that's still a work in progress. You know, <laughs> I, I am the first to put up my hands and say, I'm really terrible with negotiation. And I don't enjoy conflict so much. So not even, you know, there's no conflict in negotiating rates, but it's still a really stressful thing, you know. So um, for me, that's a constant learning curve because I'd prefer to be on the creative making side of things. In the beginning, it was a case of working with brands and especially with tourism boards that really gave me a lot of freedom to take the kind of images that I wanted to take and post them to Instagram and to, to my feed and to their feeds and really encouraged me to be creative. I think one of the first tourism board jobs I did was with Canada and they were great. They sort of had a theme. They flew a bunch of us out there. We spent four or five days traveling around Montreal and that area and you forge connections with people as well. And I think that's the thing that I really wanted to emphasize is the importance of a creative community. I mean, the, the girls that I did the Montreal trip with have become lovely friends, made a bunch of friends off Instagram. And I actually think one of the best things you could do when you work in the creative industries is make sure you surround yourself with other creatives and, and don't try and work as an island and don't try and have all the answers because you're never going to. I mean, if I get a job come up and they sort of ask me what my pricing is and I'm a little bit unsure, I have this amazing network of incredibly talented and very helpful people who are willing to give me their advice and say, oh, I would charge this or, oh, have you thought that? And it's being making sure that you're actively being a member of those communities and help, helping other people and also realizing that you can go to them when you need a bit of support or a bit of advice. I mean, that's what's really helped me in my career is these really selfless, wonderful people.
This is great advice. In terms of when you say community, are those communities that you had as, you know, I'm sure it's a little bit both, but you had established and people you have known on Facebook or Instagram, or are there specific existing or well-managed communities out there that other people, some of my listeners could join and check out as well? Oh gosh. I have to admit that most of mine have actually originated online, usually through Instagram, and the connections that you make there is like it used to be, probably still is very much so. I can fly into a city and and meet up with some locals, and they show me they show me around, and then when they come to London, I show them around. I know there are amazing um, websites. I think it's called Meetup, is one of the ones where you can sort of type in the types of things that you're interested in and you can find groups that meet up and either do that activity or talk about that thing or have an experience. So usually through jobs and through the wonderful wide world of the internet is where I've found my communities. Mm. I think it's to a lot of the people I've been working with and part of what I do is to also help other people, freelancers, uh, or people with full-time jobs, to work as freelancers, whether full-time or part-time, you know, something that they committed to do, they don't have a lot of obligations, but family, kids, Mm -hmm. or are they, you know, just testing the water a little bit to figure it out and see Mm -hmm. how they can get their first few clients. And I can't emphasize things enough, exactly as you had just mentioned, is to keep in touch with people and finding uh, your tribe. And there's no excuse because someone like you, you travel all the time. It's not like you're in uh, in the same location. <laughs> you know, yep. Always. So I think seeking out people, mentors, peers are yes. incredibly important. Uh, make an effort to keep in touch with them and actually sit down, have a conversation, coffee or lunch, and just be dedicated to that conversation. There's so much uh, knowledge you can distill out of those things. Yeah, 100%. And and being willing to give your time and advice freely as well as asking for that time and advice as well, you know, it's a two-way street. God, we all know what it was like starting out, right? It's nerve-wracking and it's scary. And I think it's really important to be really brutally honest about what it's like to work in these industries and go, sure, you know, it looks pretty on Instagram and it does look amazing, but you can't see the weeks and weeks spent editing at the computer and not talking to anyone, or you can't see that, you know, I think one of the most important things I tell people is to set yourself up financially before you go freelance. I think there's a great misconception that you can gain some popularity or some traction on social media and and that the work will come flooding into you. It's just not the case, you know. You have to... I think be really responsible about your future and go, hey, you should have savings. You should have clients already in mind who want to work with you, you know, ones that you're willing to get in touch with and you think they're going to respond favorably because the worst thing I think would be to finally strike out on your own and realize that, oh, it's going to take me ages to build up this network. So I'd say definitely build up your network whilst you're already earning and gainfully employed. (laughs) It makes the leap that much easier knowing that you've got a little bit of a cushion. I can validate that a hundred percent because I, you know, I felt not only that, I feel like it gives you options once you have evaluated how much you need, what 
which is really based on your own personal burn rate. Um, mm-hmm. It's not some magazine, some article you read in a magazine about six <sighs> months saving. You know, to me, someone like me, coming from a more traditional background, you growing up in a Chinese family, mm-hmm. savings uh, was something that my parents couldn't emphasize enough. So yeah. that certainly gave me options. So personally, I had saved up, you know, well over a year and a half of savings. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so, you know, I think the 401ks and the, you know, the your companies would offer to you, I would say, take advantage of those things right away. As soon as you start working, as soon as you switch to a new company, I mm-hmm. ended up recording these short videos on Facebook live and just mm-hmm. telling people uh, some of the decisions I made and I believe were really kind of aid me in this process. So Totally, totally. And I think that honesty is just super important because I think in, in the social media that people consume these days, I think it's very easy to believe that life's one big picture postcard and, you know, you flit from one beautiful place to the other. And if you're lucky, you do get to go beautiful places. But it's also really hard work you know, working for yourself and marketing yourself and dealing with your own accounts and everything. And and I think people need to be told honestly, look, this is probably the hardest you'll ever work, but it's also incredibly rewarding. So, yeah. To me, it's worth it. Uh, you yeah. know, I did not regret for a second for choosing what I, for one, that I get to do this at 10 in the morning. You know, Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, exactly. To be able to do this uh, felt like this is a passion project, but yet, you know, now it's really above and beyond the passion project, something I've been doing for, you know, over two years. So, you know, I'm looking at your path. I was surprised to find out you've only been doing this freelancing uh, full time for two to three years. And I noticed Mm -hmm. along the, along the way, you've won a a number of very impressive awards to name a few. (laughs) Apple Best App in 2012 and PPA and iPhone Travel Awards. So Mm -hmm. I am most familiar with the last one, but I would love for you to tell us a bit more about all three of them, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. The Apple Best Apps of 2012 was for the magazine that I worked on. It was um, run or owned by Jamie Oliver, so it was his own proprietary magazine that I was art director of. As happened with the advent of the iPad, you had to develop and put out an iPad app. And we worked incredibly hard on it, um, really, really long hours. I'm a very much a print designer through and through. So the idea of having to work in pixels and work in sort of screen rotations and things was very foreign to me, but I had a fantastic team of people that I was working with. And in the end, we were named as one of the best apps of 2012 by Apple, which was very exciting. Wow. Jamie Oliver, sorry. <laughs> Did you work with him directly? Yeah, yeah. So it was his magazine, or it still is. Um, It's called Jamie. So I was the art director. I started work on it from the second edition and went up to the 52nd. I love that magazine. In fact, when I was, uh, oh my God, small world. I I love his work. And I happened to be in London for like a week. And I ended up buying a magazine. I probably still have it from years ago. I, I absolutely love it. 
that'll have my name in it then because <laughs> I left, that's where I left to go back to photography. So I was there from issue two to 52. I mean, the magazine's still going. They've got a new team in place and it's fantastic. But um, how bizarre that you've seen the mag. It's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, so that was the um, Apple's, one of Apple's best apps of 2012. Uh, the PPA Awards, kind of, I guess you'd call them the Oscars of the magazine industry here in the UK. Basically, commercial magazines and customer magazines are all sort of, you can put yourself forward in various categories. And I was nominated as Designer of the Year three years in a row. And in the third year, I actually won it, which was incredible and surreal and very humbling because you know the competition was Elle magazine and Cosmopolitan and Wallpaper like all of these incredible magazines and here we were this tiny scrappy little team just producing this magazine that we're really passionate about yeah that was incredible and humbling and then the last one was the International iPhone Photography Awards. I think that was one of the things that really gave me a renewed sense of, oh, yeah, maybe I can do this. It's a yearly award that they give out for people who shoot images on the iPhone, which I did religiously for a really long time and still do, actually. And I won the travel category for that year with an image that I took in Iceland. So they were all sort of lovely little confirmations along the way that, hey, you're doing something that you really, really love. And, oh, look, isn't it amazing that some people are recognizing that? You know, it's a really, really lovely feeling. I can imagine that. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of the podcasts, like you said, social media promote some sort of a success formula or like a checklist and people can follow. But in reality, after interviewing more than 80 people at this point and releasing nearly 100 episodes, I notice there are very few success formulas that from that can translate from one person to another or even yeah. one experience to another for the same person. So, you know, it sounds fantastic that you've been named and all these uh, confirmations along the way. What are some of your ad advice you'd say for photographers or creative folks to be noticed, to even be considered or to be on the trajectory of, you know, being recognized by these brands and awards? What do they need to do? I think, I mean, to be honest, and I know this probably isn't really what people want to hear if they want a hard and fast sort of super track to getting somewhere is to be really genuine and really honest and really yourself in all of your interactions. Um, I think if you go out seeking only success and not the things which should come along with it, which is collaboration and friendship and wonderful clients and being involved in meaningful things, then I think you're probably going about it the wrong way. I think that creating work that internally resonates with you and reflects who you are is the most important thing because that's going to be your point of difference. I think it's really easy to look at other people's work and emulate that and go, oh, well, XYZ style is really popular right now. If I just create images because, you know, I'm a photographer, so let's talk about images. If I'm going to create images which are exactly like this because that's what people are liking right now, then you're not really going to get noticed because your voice is just going to blend in with all the other millions who are doing the exact same thing, you know? So I think um, 
creating the images which resonate with you and creating the work that inspires you and makes you happy. I really, I have this sort of thing that I like to tell people and that it's the best advice I ever got is to always have intent. At university, it was one of my lecturers, Tony Winkup. As soon as we presented an assignment, he'd go, okay, what was your intent? And we'd have to tell him what we intended to create before we even created it. And I think that's hugely important. And the other thing I think is that you really need to approach the work that you're doing with feeling. If you're automating your processes or if you're just trying to do something because other people do it, then that's not reflecting who you are. If you do it with feeling, then people sense that and they feel it and they feel that authenticity and that gets you noticed eventually. And if it doesn't get you noticed, then at least you're having really authentic interactions with people and you're putting your very honest self out there, which is a pretty amazing thing in and of itself, you know? Mm. I love what you're sharing here because I think that's often the struggle that many people have and I'm sure people like yourself, like us, and we're still trying to sort of overcome or sometimes remind ourselves of over and over again at running a podcast. It's very easy to want to mimic other top 50, top 100. And, you know, what you said really resonated is uh, during post-production. It's like, I want to sound like that. But ultimately, the hardest thing is to find yourself. At the same time, the easiest thing is to be yourself. So Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's listening to how you actually feel about a project or how you feel about the thing that you're creating. It's almost you put yourself into some kind of automated flow where you just do it and you kind of um, discover along the way how it's working and how it's turning out. But at least you're intuiting along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love you mentioned the fly of the Concords. I they just <laughs> they make me laugh until my stomach hurts. And, and mate, I have a little flight of the Concords story I can tell you as please. well, which is one of my very actually I'd say my very first job out of design school. There was a local theatre in Wellington, New Zealand, where I lived and where I went to university. It's called Bats Theatre. And I'm sure it's still around. It was a wonderful, independent, small, quirky sort of run off the bones of their ass theatre. And they had this um, monthly publication where they'd put in all the dates and times and details of their plays and their shows and everything. And I was fresh out of university. So I went to them. They were advertising for a freelance designer. And uh, I went in and I got the job. And really, you know, because they were such a small outfit they didn't have that much cash to pay me with so I got a lot of free tickets to shows and I ended up seeing Flight of the Concords when they were playing there and I just remember going to that show and my face physically hurting for two days afterwards because (laughs) I had never laughed so much in my entire life and I remember thinking god these guys are going to be really really big and then obviously clearly they both have become huge. So it's really wonderful. And I'm really glad, you know, that's, I guess, an example of taking an opportunity that came along. And I would never advocate doing things for free. But um, at the same time, I got to see a flight of the Concords. So it was pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you.
know, back to you, Adrian. You know, I'm looking at your portfolio, uh, all these amazing brands, you know, such as Google. I wonder if you could take one example and kind of walk us through the assignment to say, and this is kind of you, uh, you how you approach your work. Mm, interesting. I mean, there's basically two approaches. Well, there's two types of job that I do, really. The majority of what I do is for magazines, for publications, and they generally come to me with an assignment and say, we need images of this, this, and this. Like maybe it's a festival. Um, Lonely Planet came to me and they said, look, you know, in every issue, we look really deeply into one specific location and we send a photographer and a journalist out for about nine days and we do in-depth coverage of that area. And we go to various cities, or in this case, it was various Greek islands, and we give recommendations of places to eat, places to stay, things to do. So your job is to go to every single one of these locations over this period of time, photograph those things, but also be creative in photographing anything else that you see and creating images which you think are going to be beautiful and compelling and really make people want to go to those locations. Um, so that's one type of job that I do. And so that Lonely Planet Greece job was nine days and it was two days in Athens and then the other ones traveling to about four different Greek islands, which is a lot of ground to cover as well. So they're really busy days. They're very hectic, but they're hugely rewarding because you get to meet the most incredible people. You know, normally the journalist has lined up a bunch of people to speak to, people who are farmers, cheesemakers, bar owners, and you get to immerse yourself in worlds which you really know nothing about, which to me is the most exciting is meeting people, talking to people and realizing we are all the same, you know, wherever you go, we're all just trying to do the best we can and be excited about life. Um, then the other type of job that I do is, uh, well, Google's a really good example of that, is I get hired to take photographs however I really want, which is incredibly fulfilling as well and really nerve-wracking because without a hugely specific brief, sometimes it can be a little bit of a challenge to go, oh my God, you just want me to take photos, but what do you want me to take photos of? And, and uh, that's where it's really important to talk with your client and get a really good understanding of, okay, you know, you might want to see this through my eyes, but what in particular would you like to see? Or is there an over, overarching emotional feeling that you'd like conveyed? And then you have a dialogue and talk about these things and then you get a really good sense of the type of thing to take photographs of. So the Google job was a two-day shoot in Sydney, which I coordinated with a fantastic team at Google and a production company as well based in Sydney. We had a bunch of... Uh, Skype calls and video conferences and they went out scouting for me because obviously it was on the other side of the world and I've been to Sydney quite a bunch but I hadn't been in a few years. I didn't know how things stood with needing permits to shoot in various places so they did a whole bunch of scouting for me. I landed, we shot for two days with the Pixel phone which is what the campaign was for and it was really wonderful actually just creating 
the types of images that this client needed, which were bright, colorful, exciting, but also real life, real world photographs that anyone could really take. So yeah, that's a really long winded (laughs) way of saying that I either work to quite a set brief, but still with the freedom to in between times shoot things that I find interesting, or in the case of Google or the tiny bit of social media work I do with tourism boards, they really just say you go at it and produce images and you share them. I love both, to be perfectly honest. I'm really happy doing both because I find them both hugely rewarding. I think a variety in our work is really important because, you know, not only it makes us better uh, at what we do, and, but sometimes we feel like we know uh, where we want our careers to travel to, but sometimes we don't know. And mm-hmm. so much of the work that I enjoy, love doing, uh, have to do with the people. And with you, it has to do with this location as well. And, you know, sometimes I find some of the projects more mundane, but the people are incredible. We're you know, enjoying food and we're having a good time and getting things done and making a real impact in their business and in their lives. It's just indescribable. So yeah, um, it's a wonderful synergy, isn't it? When you get to work with incredible people who are also really passionate and hugely knowledgeable about what they do. It's like, wow, we both have these ideas and let's work together. And I've been really lucky this past year to work with some incredible journalists who have just, you know, really taught me a lesson or two on how to approach people, how to build a rapport with people when you don't even speak the same language and and what kind of questions to ask to really get to the heart of a story. You know, I sit back and I watch them and it's, it's a huge privilege, I have to say, to see people do their work who are passionate about it. Yes, and that's precisely why I enjoy podcasting. You know, there's so many people from so many professions I knew so little about. And the idea and just the privilege to be able to speak with them and talk about their day and their origin stories, it's, uh, like you you said, so satisfying. And, you know, with many other people out there and notice you have a very significant uh, following at this point. So if people were to discover, if they want to learn more about your work, what's the order of uh, things and places that they should go, you think? Yeah. Um, I'd say first off my website, because I do update it really, really regularly, which is adrianpitts.com. And then Instagram, I'm still basically obsessed with. And I think I upload a photo a day usually. They might be from the archives if I'm sitting at home editing. But on Instagram and on Twitter, my handle there is hellopo, which is hello, P-O-E. Yeah, so those are the three places that they'll be able to see most of my work, little behind the scenesy things and new work as and when I can update it. Awesome. That's lovely. Thanks so much, Adrian. Thank you. That was fun. (laughs) That was so fun. Hey, it's Faye. I am back for a few words at the end of the show. I hope you enjoy what you heard. You can visit us online at faceworld.com or social channels such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, also under Faceworld to keep things simple. 
I personally review and respond to all the messages. Love to hear from you. Thank you and lots of hugs. See you next week.